Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very illuminating podcast of the Independent Life Podcast. What if you were in a situation or someone you loved were in a situation where you needed help around the house? You needed help perhaps transferring from the bed to a wheelchair, getting in or out. You needed assistance perhaps going food shopping, doing laundry, you were perhaps socially isolated and you just needed, you know, someone to be around with. We're social beings. We we need this. Other in other words, you are in need of home care. We've talked a bit about the home care crisis in the Independent Life podcast previous episodes, and in this episode, we talk about an amazing solution if you or someone you loved are in that situation where you need you know, instrumental help uh, doing just activities of daily living in your home. You, you need help with keeping up your home. You, you need companionship. If you're uh, someone or someone you, you love are in need of any of this to whatever extent possible, we are talking today with Mark Altieri. He works for Public Partnerships, an amazing organization that empowers people to make choices of who they get to have in their lives to do this very important work to help them stay in their homes, to have the choice of who this is in this most very intimate part of our lives, living in our homes, is very important. And the services that Public Partnership describes, as, as described by Mark in here, is amazing. Navigating people through the complex systems of whether or not people are eligible, not eligible, enrolling people into these great services, providing those home care services in, in, in terms of empowering the person to be their own employer taking off their hands all the work that would be needed. If you're choosing someone to do this work, you're basically have become an employer and you're responsible then for payroll and billing and invoicing and all this other kind of stuff. Well, this wonderful organization, Public Partnerships, takes that uh, responsibility um, off of your plate so that you can live your life and the person that's helping to provide these home care services for you um, doesn't have to worry about it. And they can focus on you know, being there uh, for that person, for you, for whoever that may be in, in a way that really helps to just focus on the priceless work. Uh, that is so needed more than ever. Uh, Mark does a very eloquent job of describing why home care now more than ever and will be in the foreseeable future, one of the most important areas that we all need to be paying attention to. And this great organization, Public Partnerships, really does empower people with having the choices that are necessary in their lives to stay in their homes without having to go into unnecessary institutionalized care or have some other agencies that doesn't have the kind of relationship with uh, the person that's needing the home care, that the person who can make choices of who that person is, when they can provide that care, at what cost they're providing that care, how they're providing that care, to have that power of choice, the who, what, where, when, is invaluable, as is independence. I am so very happy to, to learn about this great service and have this wonderful conversation with an incredible human being who's so inspired to serve. I bring you Mr. Mark.
All right, and welcome to the Independent Life Podcast. I am here with Mark Altieri. We're going to get into the wonderful uh, programs that public partnerships uh, provide for people. This is fairly new for me on my radar that I've been learning about, but really goes to the heart of what Centers for Independent Living are all about, ensuring that people with disabilities can live in the community, in their homes, and so they can maintain their independence and stay out of institutions and have more choices in their life. A pretty, pretty important thing, and we're going to get really into that. But Mark, I would love for you to perhaps introduce yourself to our audience and you know, kind of who you are, but also perhaps how disability has impacted your life. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on, Tony. Greatly, greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you all today. Uh, Mark Altieri, I reside in Massachusetts. I went to school for business, but at the Heller School of Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University in Massachusetts. And 15 years before I went to Brandeis, I worked for the Head Start preschool program, uh, very much on the front lines, trying to get families hooked up with different social services, many of those families with children with a range of disabilities, um, physical, behavioral, uh, emotional, and then went back to school and honestly fell into this world of what is called participant-directed long-term care, which is what I'm here to talk to you about today, Tony. And at the core of it, these are service models that allow the individual or their family members to have the maximum choice and control over the services they get. And so to answer your question about me on a personal level and uh, how disabilities have impacted our family, Uh, My son was born a very normal, healthy uh, baby, and within six weeks, he went into cardiac failure uh, over a very long year uh, of in and out of long hospital stays, uh, operations, lots of medications. He did require a heart transplant. And so the road to recovery for a transplant recipient involves a lot of service providers in and out, a lot to do with our health insurance and which services were paid for or not, Mm -hmm. uh, service providers we were happy with and sometimes not. Uh, and so we that's been a journey we've been on with him for 15 years now, and he does very, very well, I'll have awesome. you know. Um, he's a junior in high school now, uh, but we've definitely uh, lived a path uh, that's a bit different from a lot of folks in regard to that stuff. How did, how did you um, be able to take care of yourself as you're going through? Like I have a son as well. They're pretty young right now. Um, uh, and, and I, I haven't never gone through anything like w- with what you're talking about. My my heart like goes out to you. I, and 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 how how are you able to take care of yourself? At, you know, as you're you know watching after you know your your young little son go through so much so early. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know this from working at a sale. Uh, a lot of times, people need help in their their life journeys. Yeah, and you look to people that you do know, and so of course, friends and family were there for me, were there for my wife. But then you look for other professionals and fields that help. Sure. Um, counselor, you know. So luckily, we had Children's Hospital that was able to provide counselors that specialize in working with families that are going to have to go through this then you know while i never envisioned 
our son uh, needing occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical mm -hmm. therapy, uh, in-home nursing for his G-tube. You build relationships with those people too. And those people can help, you know, inform you of other supports that were out there for our family. Um, we learned about things like uh, camps for children with disabilities or that had received transplants. And then we went to those camps and made friends that were with wow. people that could walk, had walked in our shoes. Right. And as a lot of, you know, your families and, and individuals out there know um, that building new community around you in this new path that right. you've been put on is important to keep your keep your head up yeah whole new world yeah social supports people you know personally but I, I i really admire that you went out and got professional help as well uh to help you along people that you know can give a very non-biased objective you know kind of take on what you're going through i was speaking off uh before we got into this that um, you're in massachusetts i did live in rhode island for a while i was very impressed with the like systems of service that were out there especially for all kinds of disorders or disabilities and and those kind of things so i'm glad to hear that you really um it sounds like you probably ascended a very steep learning curve on the systems and all, all the different programs that are out there and, and, and the unique experiences, like you said, with camps and everything like that. So um, before we get into specifically into like public partnerships and wh where you all fall into this system of care, how would you like lay that land out there for somebody like, say, for instance, is just starting the journey? Um, that you you went on and you're you know you got this whole universe that they got to get their head around how would you like describe the lay of the land in terms of uh the system you know that's out there uh so i think one on it in the world that we live in uh that is so predicated on social media and having connections upon connections a lot of times within social media that may not be Tony and Mark's friends, but yeah. they're people when you start putting a word to other people, you end up finding out that a lot of folks that you know, or you're a degree of separation have had a path uh -huh. um, and can be information resources. Because certainly what we found was, and I think what you and I hear from a lot of families is uh, something like that happens or something on a health level happens to a loved one. And everyone says, the last thing you want to do is go on the internet. You're going to get so overwhelmed between what the prognosis could be or what mm. you should do or yeah. talking to a friend or family member. We'll get into this a little bit. Sure. I need help, whether it's mental help, whether it's a social service provider. And uh, I don't know where to start, A. And then B, I don't even know what I'm eligible to get for help when it comes to things like health insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, mm -hmm. Medicare Part B. Oof. That can all get very overwhelming. So right. I think the first thing uh, I'd always recommend is you're not alone. And oftentimes there are more people that you're closer to that can be super valuable resources for information on where to start mm -hmm. um, than you think. And then I think the number of people that I talk about, uh, because I'm in this field for 15 years, that I know what a Center for Independent Living is. I know what an aging um, and disability resource center is or an area agency on aging. Three critical resources for anyone right. uh, to know about in their state. And, you know, you must get it. 
what's that acronym? Absolutely. A SIL? Yeah. yeah. A triple yeah. A, an ADRC. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And those are great places and great resources to start with yeah. and yeah. help to find out what services are available. And then whether or not you can qualify to receive those services or your loved one can. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I like how you say you're not alone. It can certainly feel probably like we're alone in this huge systemic, you know, kind of jungle out there that's like so much to navigate and get your head around. And yeah, thank you for pointing out all the different like, you know, areas, agencies on aging, centers for independent living. There's some some places in there within these systems that can really help make it more clear. And certainly can accompany people and let them know that they are certainly not alone. So uh, Centers for Independent Living and uh, what public partnerships are all about, what, you know, an area that we certainly have a lot of overlap is, is keeping people in their homes. And, and to whatever, you know, services and extents possible, we're certainly trying to do it. I know you got uh, a really awesome service that allows people uh, the choice is, uh, that they can make to allow them to still live in their own homes. Um, but maybe let's start at, uh, you know, with home care. You know, home care is such a, you know, we, we talk to people all the time. And, uh, you know, it's so, I guess maybe let's start first with the importance of it. And what are kind of some of the issues in the broader scheme of home care that many people face that are the, 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 the challenges? So I guess I love starting with why. So why is home care so important? And then maybe let's go into like some of the barriers and issues that are related to home care. And I think that'll segue nicely into the you know options that you all provide to overcome some of those barriers. Sure. So why is home care so important? Um, one of my favorite statistics right now is the United States will be older than it's ever been in the history of our country by 2030, meaning every last baby boomer will have hit retirement age um, by 2030. Uh, that, that means we are going to have uh, an all-time high in need to care for our aging and elderly in their homes um, and care for our disabled and keep them where they want to be, sure. which is in their homes. So one, we we don't have enough nursing facilities and home uh, health facilities yeah. to support the population. We've heard about the graying of America for a couple decades now, but we're yeah. we're at it now. We're yeah. only seven years away from we're we're great. Yeah. Um, there's also yeah. been plenty of discussion about the declining size of of the workforce um, because right. we we are not having as many children as we used to have in the 50s mm -hmm. and 60s. That's right. all caught up to us now yeah. by 2020. Uh, the major change in which was why I was so uh, interested in coming on. Why is home health so important. So we have decreasing supply of facilities to put folks in, increasing supply of folks that need care. And then we had this global pandemic uh, of COVID-19. Yeah. And while we've in large part moved most of us on our day-to-day -day lives, have grown to be able to manage and cope with COVID now, mm -hmm. what it did was decimate the the home care workforce, um, both getting ill uh, and then making career choices to get out of providing in-home care during COVID because it was too risky to go into five to eight to 10 individuals' homes in a week to provide care. Right. It was risky for everyone. 
Uh, those jobs, as we hear, the workforce shortage in the United States is alive and well. Right. There are a couple fields that continue to be hit particularly hard. In-home care is one of them. Agencies, you can Google Florida in-home care crisis, and I guarantee you will get articles um, that we, we can't find and attract enough in-home care attendance right. post-COVID-19. And whether or not that issue is here to stay or not uh, remains to be seen. But there are indications that it, it's generally here to stay. And, and another reason why is the emer like all those people that left during COVID landed in new places. And uh, honestly, the job market for 18 to $26 an hour paying jobs, that's still thriving. Mm -hmm. Uber uh, allows you to make your own schedule. Amazon Fast allows you to get hired today with no interview and paid tomorrow, all in that $18, yeah. $22 an hour range. Mm -hmm. I'd say you're spot on. And from my understanding of, uh, you know, the home care crisis was there before COVID, you know, not enough people in the workforce. Like you said, we got more people that are, they're aging and want to age in place, right? That's the kind of uh, yep. jargon that's yep. thrown around is like, you know, <clears throat> the, you know, we live here in Florida. So we have a high percentage of people that are, you know, 60 and over already. Like we have more people that live over 60 than the population of at least half the states, like the total population of half yep. the states, you know? And, and so, you know, that's a very big topic, you know, where we're, where we're everywhere. And, um, you know, most people want to live in their own home and don't want to go into institutions. And when you said COVID, a stat that came to my mind was that when we, you know, most people that were aware of it, you know, a lot of the people that were uh, infected with COVID were institutionalized care facilities, you know, like one out of three deaths. The desire to live at home is huge. Um, we got more people that are, you know, living and wanting to live at home, less people that are out there to provide that kind of care for, for, for people that are living at home. From what I understand, you know, like just the amount of people that um, are providing care for loved ones, you know, we, we are well aware and you probably are too of like, we got families where they're both taking care of their older parents, maybe who are living at yep. home and raising kids yep. at the same time. They got both generations there and they're having to make choices between do I stay at, you know, home with them to care or go to leave my job and, you know, all these other kind of things that are so challenging that, that are related to it. And I could go on and on. And I know probably you could too as well. Um, but maybe uh, right before we jump into this, you know, what is, what are some of the things that, you know, a home care provider, um, you know, there's someone that provides home care, um, what does that look like? Like when we talk about home care, like what are the different types of of things that somebody might be doing for for a person that is needing home care? What does that look like? Yeah, sure. So the most common uh, acronym you'll hear thrown around when it comes to keeping folks in their home is support with ADLs, activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that a lot of us take for granted when we're younger and we're physically able. But activities of daily living, when you think about it, can include getting out of bed, getting dressed, mm -hmm. getting from one floor to another if you don't have a single floor home or one room right. to another, depending on what's going on physically. Absolutely. Getting a healthy meal prepped, uh -huh. Making sure that that meal is eaten. Uh -huh. um, some programs or, or personal care attendance services include some degree of homemaker, which would mean they could then also clean up after the meal. But then getting an elder, uh, and you hear so many reports on this and uh, going through this with my own parents now, 
social interaction keeps Huge. people healthy <laughs> uh, so mentally important. sharp physically yeah. sharp physically disabled yeah. or elderly people want to be yeah. and which was a devastating part of covid people want to be around other folks yeah. and so sometimes in home care can just also include um, getting a grandmother to the just for the grocery store for half an hour to walk the yeah. aisles and see the other people and still have control over that process. And those are those are all the little activities of daily living that a lot of us take for granted. But as we age, or if we have a physical disability, that now we're getting to an age where our we need other caretakers around. Right, and we're talking that whole. 2030 graying piece and you hit a great point too about the unpaid family caregiver issue major report put out in late 2022 by the administration on community living there are billions and billions of unpaid care yeah. uh, delivered every day uh yeah. in, in this country and they've now become necessary yeah. necessary and, and and like how much would the state or uh, other you know public entities have to pay if that care wasn't there and they would have to come in in some level and provide that care and support you know so it's like we're you know, many of these wonderful people who are caring for loved ones are saving the taxpayers our country lots of money by doing that you know kind of service yeah you know, I really appreciate how you hit on activities of daily living, just these everyday things that, you know, some of us who, you know, have, you know, certain levels of function may take for granted. I know for me, you know, before I came to the Center for Independent Living and, you know, we had, we put in wheelchair ramps to people's homes. I can't tell you, you know, now I, every time I step in or out of my home I can take a simple step over that threshold. I'm like, I'm so grateful. I can just do this simple action. Um, the importance of being able to go to my mailbox very easily and open my mail and go through my mail, keep, yes. my, house, keep my house clean, prepare food, clean food. When I'm limited in that mobility and need that assistance to do that, I mean, those are just critical everyday things that we, you know, will all at some point need assistance with. And, uh, you know, it's just such instrumental activities of daily living that does that stuff. I am so glad you mentioned, like, the importance of um, connection with other people. Like, I, um, you know, I right before even the, the pandemic hit, there was some research studies on loneliness and, and reported yes. loneliness. And people, uh, these researchers were finding that, you know, people that experienced loneliness and reported loneliness, the impact on their physical health, like, they were just as likely to have heart disease, cancer, stroke, all these other things, as much as a smoker, they were equating like social isolation and loneliness as as impactful, negatively impactful to someone's physical health as smoking is. And, and it's just so important. So companion care, you know, being there, just being present with somebody, like you said, like even maybe taking them out to, into the community and or being present with them, listening to them, you know, just being in the same room presence, you know, with another yep. human. We're just social beings. We we absolutely need that, and um, so so when when I um, got educated about uh, public partnerships and 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 the the services that you all provide, you know, th those are many of the reasons why I was very excited to hear about it and more. Um, but certainly, as a center for independent living, um, you know, one of the you know, the hooks that immediately caught me is um, when when I think it was very much at the beginning when I was getting introduced to the program, uh, Tracy Whitehead came to us and she was just like, yeah, we're all about, you know, you know, participant options. 
Uh, we're all about self-directed care. And she like had me there because like, I, I, you know, that's like one, one of the things that at the state level, we're really, you know, pushing with the legislature is like, you know, having you know, having self-directed options and choices and not taking those choices out of the hands of people and putting it into like, you know, someone that doesn't know them, you know, and, and is making choices on their behalf. We see so many people, unfortunately, that get, get caught up into that. So maybe if you could describe a bit about if people aren't familiar with these terms, you know, participant options or self-directed choices, maybe explain uh, what that exactly means. Yeah, for sure. Participant direction in the United States uh, to do it justice, probably started on the Berkeley campus out in California uh, in the 70s, uh, late 60s, where a Berkeley student with physical disabilities was not getting equal access to classrooms, um, to facilities, to social groups, and organized a group of other physically disabled students on the Berkeley campus. And from um, that movement, you uh, ultimately had the American with Disabilities Act was led um, by that same group. And what they they birthed in that movement was uh, their living arrangements on campus. They wanted some control over who would come in and help them access an elevator, get down, get to class, depending on your disability. But bottom line, force Berkeley to put into place rightful accommodations, and as well as give some autonomy to these students to have people on campus that could help them access all the educational services. So uh, from there, you start to have states like California, Massachusetts were early on in it, that through their Medicaid, so just, I didn't know this, Tony, I feel like a lot of people don't know this, that Medicare is generally for health insurance um, for 65 plus, mm -hmm. and Medicaid is to pay for long-term care services. Yes, it's income-based, but it can also be disability-based, and, yep. and there are things called Medicaid waivers um, as well. And so for about 20, 30 years, states experimented with allowing individuals on their Medicaid state plan some participant-directed option. And at its core, what it means is it's uh, a person-centered approach to long care service delivery, whereby the individual is rightfully at the center, maximizing their choice and control over who provides their services, when, and how. And so it is most prevalent uh, for those assisted daily living activities in a personal care service in states. And in 2000, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services really recognized like th this is something, uh, there's something to this. We're gonna allow states to obviously continue to offer these types of options where Tony in theory can hire a nephew, could hire a brother, could hire his best friend, if Tony became disabled, was born with a disability, or hits an age in life where he needs the care. Uh, he can not only pick the person, but in a lot of these models, he can have some say into the wages that that person will receive. And so very germane to our earlier conversation, uh, when home care agencies are having a hard time providing staff, mm -hmm. and one of them is the wage competition. 
participant directed options often allow people to set a wage that's higher um, than an agency would pay. And therefore, they can attract a quality person and hopefully someone that will stay for a long period of time. Yeah. And then they can set the schedule. So this is a big piece, too, where um, just because uh, a disabled or elderly person is an early bird and maybe they still get up at 430 in the morning and mm -hmm. like to start their day at five and do a few things from five to 10 in the morning. Uh, a lot of home care agencies don't have staff lining up to be at your <laughs> not, grandfather's not house. Business at hours. Yeah. <laughs> or conversely, when when yeah. your grandfather needs help getting into bed at night right. um, and kind of the, the evening routines and, and making sure he doesn't fall getting into bed. And that's the, the 7 to 10 p.m. Right. swing. Right. Yeah. And so, again, you're talking about things like who, who wants to line up for that shift. You're also talking about how, how close are they proximity wise. And so we're seeing rural populations getting hit particularly hard by these workforce shortages, oh, these yeah. COVID issues, because if you're the only one living uh, North Central Florida in, in a county that's not densely populated, Tony, and there's only one agency that can even conceivably get someone to your home yeah, and luck. they're understaffed by 30 percent, uh -huh. you'll go without care is the reality. But in that same rural community that often have higher unemployment rates than the norm. If we can connect folks in need and want and ability to pick their own person, have them come in, trust them, trust that they can explain to them how they want their assisted daily activities supported. This is how I like to get out of bed. This is how I like my food cooked. This is how I, you know, I like to get yeah. from point A to point B then you have a really good match between I can pick this person's willing to come on my schedule. I can set their wage. And oftentimes we see the employment relationship last many years. Oh, yeah, uh, home yeah. care has a, a pretty high rate of attrition. And I think the stick factor, this is, this is get, you know, more qualitative in the participant directed options. A lot of times you're going to hire someone that, you know, already, although there mm -hmm. are, there are ways to get hooked up with people if you don't have anyone in mind, but those people to your point earlier, a lot of times, some of them are in the mix already providing yeah. some degree of care. Absolutely. This allows them to get paid to do it. And then anyone that's interested in doing it and is known is probably going to do it out of love to a degree too, right? You're going over, yeah. if oh, the 100%. nephew's getting hired yeah. by grandma, yeah. maybe he's not as technically sound as a fully trained personal care worker. However, we're talking basic ADL support and we're talking family love and hopefully stickiness of sticking with grandma for a good long time yeah. in that support role. So more sustainable for sure. Yeah. Yes. I mean you laid it out beautifully, like just having the option of choosing the person that's going to be providing this instrumental care. For me, one of the things that really jumps out is like you, how you're just ending that, you know, it's such intimate work, right? Like, you know, we're you're going to be involved in a very intimate space with the person, their, their own home, you know, working to help support them and, and potentially very vulnerable kind of situations. And likely those family members are already very close to, to them and uh, already know them very well. And they're in, you know, different personalities and, you know, can really help to provide 
you know, those kind of things on a, on a, on a more, much more intimate level and of care and, and the flexibility, like you said, you know, we live life, you know, 24 hours, you know, it could be something that you know, is needed uh, and, and to be able to tailor that uh, to the person. That's huge. I love the idea that you can set the costs, you know, set the payments and, and those kind of things. And just this flexibility on having that choice opens a door into just all these other areas that puts what I love about it. You know, I, I, I had some experience in public health and, and what it was growing towards when when I came into it was community driven, community based, patient centered. When I worked at the VA, it was veteran centric. And, and it seemed like it was like a big shift of the model where it was more system centered. You know, like we had to conform to the system that we were in and we had to, uh, you know, adapt to that versus it adapting to us. And this sounds like it's more like doing like the, the, the exactly what it should be like the, the, the patient, the person is the center. And we just really tailor everything to, to them because they're the expert, you know, that they're, they're the ones that are there. And I got to tell you from from the uh, encounters that I've had with people that that have, you know, people that come in for home care from people they don't know, um, man, it's a vulnerable situation that people feel like they're in. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people to getting taken advantage of and, um, you know, just uh, heartbreaking stories. You know, so so the idea that you know, it could be someone that they know and um, potentially, like you said, like already doing this work that's saving billions a day, you know, yep. and, 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 and is priceless, uh, invaluable work is just amazing. Can I loop back yeah. to you because you brought it oh. up a few times yeah. as a theme, and I'm so glad that you did um, with me personally. And then through our discussion, sure. you've come sure. back to the mental health component and people uh, being in a good place mental health wise. Another service, uh, and I learned this from my next door neighbor, quite honestly, uh, uh -huh. two 70 year olds, husband and wife that are living together. They do have some personal care attendant services 15 hours a week. Uh, personal care attendant comes in. She's about 27 years old and helps with those assisted daily living activities. Uh -huh. But the other service that we'll see get participant directed sometimes, and I'd love to see more of it, is respite. And the respite, as yeah. she described it, is I have access to respite hours, Mark. However, when I actually need respite for my mental health, it's kind of unexpected. I kind of just get frustrated with uh -huh. Ernie at some point in the day, and I need a few hours yeah. away. And that's when I need respite. And so if you think about respite from the individual who's a primary caretaker, not yeah. paid, and their mental health needs for respite, you could see this participant-directed option where uh, my nephew has said that generally I get off work from at 4.30 every day, Grandma. Uh -huh. So from 4.30 to 7.30, if you ever needed me to run over so you could get out of the house for a bit, uh, I'll do that. You're not going to find many other a service provider that could commit to maybe I'll work, maybe I won't. Yeah. And a lot of programs will have an allocation of respite hours and you can kind of use them fluidly as you should. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because caregiver fatigue is real. Yes. And, and, and right. I mean, the whole cliche that everyone's heard a thousand times that we got to put our oxygen mask on ourselves before we on, you know do it on other people. It's real. And people that 
you know, are empathetic and love one another, um, it's hard for us to take that advice. We're always giving, giving, giving. And we have these wonderful, you know, people that are the primary caregiver, like you said, that are in need of these services, of these home care services that can come and give them, fill their bucket so that they can have the energy, the compassion, the empathy, all the other things that are so needed for them to still be at their best, you know, to provide that care. I'm so glad you brought that up. That That's real. Support the caregiver. So uh, what are some of the service options that people would have that would be eligible for the, the we'll get into eligibility, but you know, before I do, what, someone that can uh, utilize public partnerships, the wonderful things that you all offer to make this a, a reality for people's lives. What are some of those service options? Florida has what's called the PDO. Uh, and welcome again to the world of acronyms, the yeah, participant directed yeah. option. <laughs> and uh, I will tell you about the the types of services that you and can- And this changes by state by state in case there's other listeners from other states. Okay. Correct. Correct. So each right. state will have a participant directed option. And again, it'll be either on your Medicaid state plan, or it could be on a Medicaid waiver, or, and I'm not an expert on this, but for listeners out there, Medicare Part B, Medicare Part B- is a bit different from your normal Medicare without getting too far down in there. Uh, But under Medicare Part B, there are some options for in-home care as well. So just putting that out there. And public partnerships relation uh, or role in in all of this is to get that uh, disabled or or elderly individual enrolled in one of these participant-directed options. So literally called the PDO in Florida. That'll include some paperwork. That'll include working with the individual on getting some hiring paperwork completed. And we're the ones that are making the payroll to the employee that the individual in a very direct way is the one hiring and being the employer, but they don't want to do the administrative portion of that. Uh, We do all the payroll processing. We work with the care managers at the Florida health plans, if need be, on the individual service plan. We provide reporting to the state. We bill Medicaid and the Florida care plans for the services so that the individual can just focus on what is important, which is uh, getting care and, Mm -hmm. you know, scheduling care and making sure that they're happy and getting what they need. Now, in Florida, that getting the care and getting what they need to answer your question could come in a few different services. So one is adult companion care, which you brought up, um, which is fantastic and should not be overlooked Uh, as critically important. So that could be a little bit of the ADL piece. It's also going to be a little bit of the going out into the community and getting somebody to a senior center to see some of their friends, if the case may be, or or for a veteran and getting them yeah. to, to a vet's uh, yeah. rally, a vet center, a vet anywhere mm-hmm. um, yeah. to get with some other vets. You can get homemaker 
So again, that one, that service, there's some overlap with the ADL support, but you can see that if mm -hmm. uh, you were primarily authorized for homemaker hours, that most of your care is probably going to be in the home. And that's also going to include making sure things like the dishes are, are done after the meal and, and things of that nature. And then you have personal care, which is really the true ADL support. And so you could have some of each service um, mostly fall into one of those categories but so those would be the ones you and i have talked about the most companion care the homemaker mm -hmm. uh, the personal care but then florida also has attendant nursing care and intermittent and skilled nursing now what would that look like I'll go back to my personal story. So we we had uh, attendant nursing care coming into our home. We weren't able to select which nurse. Um, and in your PDO model, I could provided he or she had the certifications and licensure, I could pick my own nurse. And I'll tell you from our family awesome. standpoint, when we had a two-year-old that had a G-tube sticking out of his stomach and we'd have to feed him through it. We would also have to clean it mm -hmm. and, um, you know, handshaking the first few times Heck until yeah. we had an attendant nurse yeah. come into our house and work with us on how to yeah. clean a G-tube and feed an infant through a G-tube. Um, and then coming off some of his surgeries, we would have an intermittent skilled nurse that would come into the house intermittently. So you actually like, again, so if my family had been Medicaid eligible or eligible for waiver services, um, and we would not have been, and we should absolutely uh, talk about that. We would not have been Medicaid yeah. eligible. All of this ran through our health insurance. Um, but this would have been a perfect model for my family, for my son, mm -hmm. had we been able to pick who the homemaker, they, we probably would have gotten authorized for a little bit of homemaker during mm -hmm. when we brought him home from the hospital and there's medicines everywhere and new yeah. medical equipment that we've never seen before everywhere. Wow. Um, we could have used skilled nursing and, 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 and some of them would come in frustrated, uh, Tony, because they had just left the house where maybe the family wasn't nice to them and was, yeah. uh, and then we kind of caught some of that blowback and yeah. we were stressed. Yeah. And if we gave some of the blowback, you'd have this tense relationship going forward with that service provider with no way out of it because, yeah. I, too, live in kind of a, a remote part of Massachusetts, uh, and we don't have unlimited agencies up here. Yeah. The idea that, like, you're, you know, uh, public partnerships does, I'm just going to rewind. Like, you help, yeah. first of all, to, like, navigate people, like, they're, they're, you know, through the system to enroll into it. Like, that's huge. It is so confusing. It is. Even to me, I'm studying it, I'm learning it, and yep. this, that, and the other. But like so many people, um, for good reason, don't understand how to navigate Medicare, Medicaid, and all these other kind of things to to even a understand this program exists. B, like, how do I get there? Um, you know, how do I? Where, where do I fill out the forms? Can I fill out the forms? You know, the, the idea that you can navigate through the the administrative hoops that you got to jump there golden huge then we i jump into that like like you you then like because like it sounds like basically the 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 person who's eligible the participant the this who's making the self-directed choices they basically become an employer 
Yep. They're, they're, they're employing somebody. And let me tell you, as someone that is a director of a center, to be an employer um, requires a lot of very important things to be put in place. Payroll, as you mentioned. Yep. Right? We got to ensure people are paid. Yep. You know, we, we got now your tax laws that people yep. got to be aware of. We got to make sure that they're done on time, that there's accountability, that there's reporting, that billing. Yep. Oh my gosh. Like I am so thankful for the people that work at our center who are in charge of payroll, who are in charge right. of all these different, right on. oh my God, invoicing. Uh, yep. The idea that you all are this financial management system. Oh my gosh. Like that is so critical. Cause then, because I have this as an employer set up in our organization, I, I came into it with already set up. I, I can now do my job with knowing that, you know, right. I got very responsible people doing payroll, very responsible people doing the invoices, accounts deliverable, accounts received, um, all that kind of work. Now I can go out and be, be of service. I can go do the things that I need to do in my role. So I imagine it is somewhat similar for the person that's providing the care for the person that's hiring the person to provide the care. They can just focus on that critical things Like they don't have to worry about this administrative, very critical that you all do this, but it might not be in the wheelhouse of everybody that's like, you absolutely, know, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. huge. And yet we all, we all know so many people that uh, regardless of, of age and disability are sharp as a knife, sharp as a knife mentally yeah. want all. And that, again, that's my next door neighbor. I, I assure Sharon will self-direct her <laughs> services. She's just that type of person. But to your point, not everyone is. And, and that's the whole beauty of, of the model and why I'm glad that it's only picked up steam in the country over the years. A gentleman named Bill Moss had said at one point, everyone should be, a, we should assume that everyone could self-direct their services until they ask or prove otherwise. Ooh. But don't take that away from anyone wow. um, of having the choice and control of who provides their care. And, and I, I like that one. That's a great one. Wow. I like that. Like, don't assume. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Big one. Wow. Wow. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, eligibility? Yeah. I mean, without going down the eligibility hole, just for folks listening in Florida, folks listening in any state, could I do this? I, you know, I travel for work and I, anytime I'm on a plane, what do you do? I tell them, I know someone who could benefit from this. How can they access it? How can they find out more? So, um, really, in Florida or any state, your area agency on aging, a AAA, not a bad place to start. Hey, I heard about participant-directed service options, and I'm trying to figure out if I would be eligible for anything. Some states have county-funded, so they're uh, aging communities where some of your county taxes mm-hmm. each month are going into t- you receiving 10 to 12 hours of care. And some of those county-based programs across the country allow you to select who you want to select for the worker. Mm-hmm. Uh Centers for independent living in different states fill different roles. Um, They're never a bad idea to give them a call to find out. But ultimately, in pretty much any state, you're going to have to go through some sort of needs assessment, Mm -hmm. um, which is called a CARES assessment in Florida, which is a, a comprehensive 
assessment of your long-term care needs. So okay. I, you're going to have to get assessed for long-term care needs. You're yep. going to get have to get assessed for Medicaid, which mm -hmm. super, super broad stroke. A lot of states, you can own your house, you can have a couple thousand dollars in assets, but not much more than that to make Medicaid eligibility. So mm -hmm. in Florida, uh, if you call a AAA, they, they can screen you. For Medicaid okay. eligibility, right on. Uh, and then from there, if you're you're found to the state assessment again, counties, AAA's, SILs, in a lot of states can point folks to the right direction. Get a long-term care assessment. Get a Medicaid eligibility assessment. If you're found to qualify for both in Florida, you would then pick a long-term care organization or a managed care company. So these are like mm -hmm. Aetna, AmeriHealth, Community Care Plan. Those are the types of organizations you'd get hooked up with one of those. Yeah. And at that point, you'd be telling your case manager, care manager, mm -hmm. I, I know what participant direction is. Can you tell me some more about it? I, you know, it's ideal. I have someone, I have a nephew or a niece or a friend or someone I go to church with, whatever the case may be. And then you should be on your way. You've laid out so good, like the, the the need for home care, the barriers and issues for it, the importance of self-directed care, the different service options, you know, the eligibilities, uh, the great you know, work and role that you all do. Um, you, you seem to be very uh, inspired and enthusiastic to do this work. And I'm always interested in learning from others who are this inspired to do the work that they do. Because I like, you know, understanding what makes people tick and, you know, hopefully that can be beneficial to myself and other people who, who are looking to, to continually serve people. So obviously what you do is a, is a tremendous service for people, especially those who are in, you know, vulnerable and, you know, situations. You know, what inspires you to do this kind of work, the work that you do uh, for this great organization that helps so many people? It is... Um... It is being a, a dad now of a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old, and obviously my 16-year-old boys had quite a different journey, mm -hmm. and my early career in the Head Start program was yeah. very much frontline social services in Thank a few you. of our most economically yeah. disadvantaged cities in Massachusetts in my early 20s. It just became important for me to be able to tell my kids, honestly, when I'm older, what do you do, dad? Yeah. I try to make people's lives better. Now, I'm a right. degree or two of separation away from it, but I do believe um, we empower people. I do believe we right. support folks and and live in their best lives here. This model does, and, and our piece is a part of it, but I certainly was not... Um, cut out to work in corporate business. I was definitely yeah. cut out to work for companies. Mission is, is clear and apparent. Ours is to make this model easier for everyone. And that, that's the truth. Um, yeah. And I've met so you, Tony, on so many wonderful people you meet in this field yeah. that are committed to doing good work to help folks it means a lot. It just still means a lot when you go to bed every day. I'm sure it does for you yeah, too and yeah. all the SIL staff members. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love how you're saying, you know, when when asked, you know, by especially your 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 children, what did you do? The the idea that you know we're we're serving others, we're making the community better. 
is perhaps the most uh, valuable you know thing that we can say that we spent our finite amount of time on this planet doing. Yeah, the world a better place. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And it is very inspiring that you have this enthusiasm and, and work for for an organization that that brings in so much choice, so much value in, into people's lives on, on so many different levels. One of the, um, you know, kind of concluding questions that we like to ask many of our uh, people that we have these conversations with and, 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 and you in particular, I think like would, would have a really good insight into it. What is the independent life? What does it mean to live independently to you? Yeah, it's, it's not having someone else say the, tell you what the, who, how, where, when is going to uh, be uh, when it comes to care of yourself or a loved one. I don't even think I got that until we went on that journey with my son, but it's very frustrating and disempowering if that's compromised for any of us. Right. And for a lot of us, it never is. And not until we're, we're elderly and, and we yeah. start to lose some of the decision-making control. But when it was for our son and there were decisions that um, on, on who the, who was going to be, how they were going to provide the service and when it's yeah. frustrating. And then if it goes on, we're talking our whole con conversation's been long-term care, long-term of, of yeah. conceding that. Great, Sonia. Where is he down? Yeah. It, I love how you put your, your answer into like, you know, having that choice taken from you, that choice of who, what, when, where, how. That's so confining and constraining and just, oh, man. When, and we all want to be open and expansive and free. And uh, absolutely. Great answer there, Mark. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I want to acknowledge how um, I'm just very inspired by the enthusiasm you have to do the work that you do, the organization that you work for, its mission, empowering people to live in the community and their homes and to whatever extent possible and giving so many choices and independence to people. So so thank you for so much for, for putting your you know, heart, mind, talent, attention, skills uh, into dedicating yourself into this really noble cause. Oh, this has been great, Tony. Uh, yeah. I feel like we're we're very much uh, cut from the same mold yeah, as they say. Yeah. This has been a great, uh, yeah. yeah, great time spent. I thank you all at at the Sill for for doing all the work for doing podcasts. Yeah. Uh, great. Don't get me started on the growing. <laughs> um, reliance that people have on podcasts to get their information. This is fantastic. We're super grateful uh, for the opportunity. Well, well, thank you. Likewise. Well, Mark, well, I look forward to continuing our conversation. Yeah. And, anytime, yeah, Tony. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. I look forward to seeing where this takes us. Our aim is that it takes everybody onward and upward. Yes. Agreed. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.